This week at Balmoral, we have all been trying to help William and Harry come to terms with the devastating loss that they and the rest of us have suffered. No one who knew Diana will ever forget her. Millions of others who never met her, but feel they knew her, will remember her. I, for one, believe there are lessons to be drawn from her life and the extraordinary and moving reaction to her death. I share in your determination to cherish her memory. Our thoughts are also with Diana's family and the families of those who died with her as they seek to heal their sorrow and then to face the future without a loved one. Welcome to The Crown, the official podcast. I'm Edith Bowman, and this is the show that follows the sixth and final season of the Netflix series, The Crown, episode by episode. We'll take you behind the scenes, speaking with many of the creators involved and dive deep into the stories. Today, we'll be talking about episode four, titled Aftermath. After the news breaks of the fatal car accident, killing Diana, Dodie, and driver Henri Paul, devastated Prince Charles travels to Paris to supervise arrangements. On his return to the royal family at Balmoral, Charles warns the Queen that the unprecedented public outpouring of grief could put the family in a difficult position if they don't break with rigid protocol and make themselves visible to the public. At the same time as Diana's death sends shockwaves through the palace, fire processes the loss of his cherished son. Despite hoping that the news will bring him and the royal family together in shared grief, he instead finds himself increasingly shunned. We'll cover specific events and scenes that feature in this episode, so if you haven't managed to watch episode four yet, I suggest you do that now or very soon. Coming up on this episode of The Crown, the official podcast, we'll hear from the research team on why it was so important to recreate Dodie Fired's funeral with such accuracy. It's a very empowering thing to do because then you're showing that this individual was very special to his community and, you know, how they mourned him exactly. I talk to Salim Dao, who opens up about playing the grieving Muhammad Al-Fayed in this episode. I don't need to prepare things. I need to feel things and to feel and to understand here in my body, not here. Yeah. I don't need my head yeah. when I'm working. We'll also hear from Dominic West on tapping into Prince Charles's emotional reaction to the loss of Diana. Really, it's the question, you know, are we going to be open emotionally or not? And is being emotionally closed doing us any good? And executive producer Suzanne Mackey. They suddenly feel very normal, like their normal family. You watch the episode and you feel for every one of those characters. To kick off, I wanted to ask Peter Morgan, writer and showrunner of The Crown, an important question. You may be aware that The Crown is not Peter's first exploration of the royal world or his first time covering the immediate aftermath of Diana's death. So. I wanted to find out how he approached once again writing about this historic moment in light of his Oscar-winning 2006 film, The Queen. 
I've been dreading that particular episode for nine years because having dealt with the five days after Diana's death in the movie with Helen Mirren, I just thought, like, I, you know, I don't want to just repeat it. I've always been very clear about the fact that the, the movie, The Queen, and the show, The Crown, are two totally different things. Mm -hmm. They're tonally very different. It's not a quality thing. It's just a tonal thing. And in a sense, I looked at what I'd done in The Queen and I thought, I want to, whatever I did then, I want to do the opposite. And so in, in that, it was all about Tony Blair. So I thought, right, I don't want Tony Blair in this. I, I, and who's going to be the antagonist or who's going to be, at some level, it's still about, will the Queen come down to London or not? Yes, because that's... But I, this time, I, I, I really wanted to show Charles's role and I wanted to show the Alphayeds. And I think I wrote various drafts of this script where I tried it without Charles. I tried it with just Mohammed Al-Fayed. I tried it without the Queen. I tried it entirely from the Al-Fayed perspective. All I knew is that I wanted to tell the story of what happened to Dodie. I wanted to tell Dodie's aftermath story as much as Diana's, mm. because I thought it would tell us about, in a sense, their exclusion tells you something. The fact that they were sort of airbrushed and redacted from the whole experience, that tells you something. That is also important information. And so I really wanted to look at that. I wanted to look at the different ways that they grieved. I wanted to look at the different ways that they were buried. Uh, and I wanted to look at different ways that families navigate yeah. you know, the trauma. Now here's executive producer Suzanne Mackey with her thoughts on episode four of season six, Aftermath. Episode four is is an extraordinary episode. I'm very moved by it, mm. deeply moved by it, and I'm deeply moved by so many of the episodes in this season. But episode four feels very raw and one feels the nerve ends of everyone in that. I remember watching it for the first time on a big screen with just sort of two or three of us, including Peter, and suddenly thinking, gosh, they're an ordinary family when they're just sitting waiting for news or waiting for the phone to ring or not quite knowing what to do with themselves. Mm. And then we have it that William goes sort of walk about in Balmoral and on the estate and is sort of, to all intents and purposes, he's lost and the family's running around looking for him. And it just, they suddenly feel very normal, like a normal family. And you watch the episode and you feel for every one of those characters. Dominic's performance is, is just, it's its extraordinary. And it's a lot to ask of a young cast as well. You know, when you think of Rufus and Flynn yeah. as, as William and Harry, and I mean, wow. Those two young boys are so, so gifted. And I was there when we were filming the, the service mm. of the day she died in Balmoral and, you know, where they famously went to church that day and tried to carry on as normal and little Flynn cried throughout it. And it was just, oh, it was heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking for one so young to understand on such a sort of intuitive level yeah. what loss of mother must be. Mm. It was and is a very powerful moment and the whole episode is incredibly powerful. And, you know, and what's interesting is Peter had written The Queen 20 years ago and the Queen, you know, in many ways, episode four tells that story again. Yeah. And yet it feels so different. It's as if, you know, 
one's perspective has shifted again in the yeah. in the intervening 20 years that we know more that we know differently and so he's come at it again the same story landscape and yet it feels distinctive yeah the queen and the prince of wales when are you going to tell the boys <sighs> I want to let them sleep delay it as long as possible While they're sleeping, they still have a mother. And the French authorities. And of course. the medical team here at this hospital. This is going to be enormous. People have no idea. This is going to be the biggest thing that any of us has ever seen. I'd read, oh gosh, I think it was so important for me. It was a real revelation actually reading accounts of Charles's response to Diana's death. And, you know, of course, of course, of course, it would be nothing but absolutely tragic. Mm. But we knew from so many accounts that he was absolutely devastated by it. And that, you know, no marriage, whether you're the future king of England or whoever you are, no divorce is just going to come easily and yeah. casually in your life. You continue to love. Yeah your partner, even if just for the memories of once loving them. And she was the mother of his children. And, and how could you not be just absolutely blindsided by that yeah. and, and devastated by that? And so it was important to bring so much compassion to that moment, compassion for everyone, for Charles, for William and Harry, of course, as children that have lost their mother, but compassion for the whole family, compassion for a nation, you know, because that's what we all remember. Mm. And those private, intimate moments of grief are, you know, not for us to intrude on, but we can imagine. Yeah. And that grief, of course, is a universal. The scenes that Peter's written where a number of characters have a moment with Diana, with Dominic in the plane, the mm. Queen, they're just totally unexpected but totally right. What were those conversations around those scenes and coming to that decision that they were they were right? And the genesis were, of yeah. yeah, the genesis of those scenes were extraordinary. Actually, and I remember it very well. I was in Spain filming with in season five with episode three, the Moo Moo episode, yeah. the Al Fayed episode, the origin story of, of Al Fayed, and we were in, as it were, Egypt, in Spain, <laughs> in a warehouse. And of course, when you're working on one season, you're always working on the following season <laughs> yeah. as well, as, as apart from now. Now, yeah. Have no more to work, <laughs> which is a shame. And I remember Peter saying, oh, I've just sent you something. Will you have a look? And I was standing with Khalid talking to him because Khalid was there. And I looked at my phone and I could see it was a scene and I could see Diana. And I thought, ah, we've, we've just depicted Diana's death in the previous episode. So... I knew immediately what it would be and I whizzed outside to read it because I suddenly felt it was intimate and that, that I didn't want to somehow discuss it with anyone else, that yeah. Peter was probably reaching for something. And I remember thinking, okay, okay, Diana and Charles, Diana is a ghost. And I read it and I thought, and I, a bit like you, it sort of took my breath away and I, I couldn't breathe reading it. And it's a short scene, but it's a very, very beautiful scene. And I was in that 
instant, immediately moved. And the actors just gave their heart and soul. I think Dominic's performance in The Crown is the best I've ever seen of him, from him. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of Dominic's from The Wire and from Les Miserables. I think he's an extraordinary actor, but I really, really think he's found a depth of emotion and emotional truth that I haven't seen. And he's accesses it so quickly and powerfully. It really has staggered a lot of people on set watching him, how he really takes himself there. You know, I loved you so much. So deeply. So painfully too. It's over now. Easier for everyone with me gone. No, it won't. Well, admit that you've had that thought already. The only thought I've had since the moment I heard is regret. That will pass. No, it won't. Still to come, I'll speak to the research team and actor Salem Dow on portraying the loss of Dodie Al-Fayed with truth. But first, I was honoured to sit down with Dominic West on the set of season six to discuss his performance in this episode. Did you have the luxury of shooting episode four as a, as a chunk, you know, in terms of, because emotionally that journey that you, you take from her um, death, right... So it felt like that, but actually, no. I think we would we normally we'd shoot we shoot two episodes, and you um you know chop and change between the two, which, as you say, is is very important the the progression in at this particular time. But I no, I think we shot two at the same time, but that didn't matter. I just seemed to be crying the whole time, <laughs> and, and and thinking, does he cry? Does this guy who seems so outwardly buttoned up? You know, what does he do? And Peter's got me howling, you know. And I thought, does he do that? But you see him on that pen incident when he when he became king. He's a very emotional man, unlike his mum. You know, I think he's he's buttoned up in public, but I think in private he's obviously, you know, he's got a lot of anger and he's got a lot of love and compassion and frustration. And and so I, I, I think we just made the decision, or Peter made the decision, that he was going to be very emotional. And that, you know, it's a heavy cocktail, the cocktail of grief coupled with guilt that sort of compounds the grief. We see that manifest itself in that scene on the plane with the conversation that, right. yeah. that he has with... With the with, ghost. With the ghost, yeah. And that was an odd one to read, but it worked brilliantly. It, it just, it worked perfectly. You want to see Diana alive again. You're desperate to see her alive again. Mm-hmm. Um, but it makes total sense that, you know, someone's remembering the person who's just died and thinking, what do they think? I love playing it. I, just, I love doing anything with Elizabeth. She was great. She said that you both had to kind of wipe your faces off the plane uh, trays every take because yeah. of the amount of well, she, she shouldn't have been crying. She started crying. I going, no, you I made cry. her cry. I cry in this, not you. <laughs> You're happy in heaven. I'm crying. Stop crying. 
She <laughs> She blamed you. Did she? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It also gives him a, a really interesting strength, I find, that he shifts a bit. You know, when he comes back from Paris and he's really forthright with the Queen and Prince Philip about how it should be. Yeah, definitely. I've felt that, you know, it is a feeling of he, he owes her and, and that that happens a, a lot when people die. I think you you what they stood for, what they believed or what you think they would think of this situation comes very much into your consciousness, I think, doesn't it? And very much, you know, what certainly Diana's brother said at the funeral about the lack of emotion uh, and the, you know, the um, whatever he imagined Diana felt about the royal family, that, that's where that comes from. I think that's what I felt at the time, that, you know, he stands up to his mother and, as you say, he doesn't, he never, no one stands up to her. She's the queen. Really, it's the question, you know, are we going to be open emotionally or not? And is being emotionally closed doing us any good? I think those, all those questions came into those scenes. If you don't mind, I'm concerned with being a grandmother to William and Harry. That's my priority. And I'd rather not be lectured on how or when to grieve or show emotion. Particularly by the person who caused you the most pain. All right, all right. I admit, I, I let her down in life, but I will not let her down in death. We can't have it both ways. Haven't we learned that yet? We can't be a private family when we want to be in a public one when it suits us. If you've listened to this podcast before, you'll know that research is an integral part of the Crown production and that Head of Research, Annie Salzberger, is a regular on our podcast. This season, Annie is introducing us to her wider team. Egyptian consultant Nurhan Telfik and researcher Nada Atea Williscroft are here to talk about their journey on Aftermath. Always my happy place when Annie comes on the show to, to, I mean, just feed our brain with information. But the wonderful thing about this particular season is you are introducing us to your wider and brilliant team of researchers. Who have we got with us today, so Annie? today we have Norhan yeah. and Nada. Nada is part of our official research team, I suppose. Um, she came on board at the what, end, beginning of five? End five? Uh, beginning of five. Beginning of five. Yeah. And has been with us ever since and has done a lot of production research, working alongside Anna Basista, who you'll meet in a later episode. And then Norhan joined us. We've adopted you, Norhan, <laughs> into our team. I hope you don't mind. Are you happy We claim that? ownership. Of <laughs> but Norhan's sort of our consultant that we brought on for five and six and does a lot more work on production with the actors, with the directors, trying to make sure that all of our fired material, so either recreating Alexandria or getting the accents right or what have you, um, is as accurate as we can possibly be. So it's amazing. I mean, Nada obviously helps an enormous amount with that. They both speak Arabic, so that helps. We can read material from mm. archives that I wouldn't be able to access and many others wouldn't. But Nada is also across every episode. Just thinking back to season five before we dive into your journey and stuff and the kind of commitment that 
Peter and the team made to the authenticity of the characters and allowing them to speak Arabic within the episode. Was that something that you were, I don't know, proud of within the season or? Very much so. When I came to The Crown, I honestly did not know what to expect in terms of, like, I knew that there was like readiness on the part of the team and the production as a whole to try and get this right, whether it be like Egypt and Alexandria in the 1940s and 50s, or, you know, the, the language or, you know, the faith story. But honestly, when I started working, I was really surprised with how open everyone was to listening to how things should be and trying to make things work. Mm. So what we see on screen is as an accurate portrayal of Egypt and Arabs as, as possible. And language has been a big part of that. It's one of the very few productions where you can actually hear proper Egyptian Arabic being spoken on screen mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, the, the language, the choice of words, but also the dialect. And in order for that to happen, we cannot provide a literal translation of the script. There has to be room for creativity. Yeah. And this is when we brought in a brilliant uh, New York-based Egyptian uh, scriptwriter, Bilal Fadl, who has helped translate the script, but also translate in such a way that it doesn't sound like a translation. It sounds like it's very authentic. There's a, a flavor of Egypt and Alexandrian. It's, it, it's been a very special process, honestly, working on that with him. And so in season five, when specifically episode three came out, a very interesting comment that I heard from so many people was they at some point thought they were watching the wrong show hmm. because of how correct the Arabic sounded. And, and it's something that I'm very proud of. And we couldn't have done that without, again, being given the space to reimagine how the Arabic should be and the work of Bilal Fad, um, who helped uh, with the translation. Where does that need for that authenticity come from? You know, in terms of, like you say, there would there could have been an easier option or yeah. a road to go down. I think it's t- completely rooted in the culture that Peter has created on The Crown. You know, no other show has researched team of five full-time women and a sixth adopted <laughs> member. You know, it, yeah. it just does not happen. And so if we're going to get the bizarre traditional cultural aspects of Balmoral right, then we certainly have to get the dialect of Alexandria in the 1940s for Fayed right. And particularly, Fayed's a tricky character. You know, Mm -hmm. he intentionally disguises his background. And it would have been really easy to kind of brush him aside and be like, well, we'll treat him with a little contempt because he treats everybody with contempt. And that decision very early on, which was if we're going to care at all about Diana, her relationship with Dodi, Dodi's death, why this guy starts to come up with these conspiracy theories and push it as far as he does, then we really need to treat his background with sensitivity and in-depth kind of reporting and investigate it. You know, Salim is, he lives in Israel, he's Palestinian. He he worked with Norhan for his, his accent was not um, Egyptian enough and it needed to be really altered in order for him to take on that role. So it got that detailed. Let's talk about 604 Aftermath. Tell us a little bit about what the framework of this episode is in terms of where we are. I think it's really about grief, isn't it? And I remember when we were discussing this years ago, how are we going to approach Diana's death? Because Peter had written The Queen. And it was in his head from the beginning that he wanted fired perspective. And if we're going to tell the story of the conspiracy theories and so on, we need to really understand the culpability he probably felt in finding out that 
he, he had something to do with the death, um, that the wrong driver who shouldn't have been driving, the wrong security mm-hmm. man was drunk and in the car, and and that he had sort of set the press on them, yeah. as we show in earlier episodes. And combined with a sense of of anger and frustration at being almost blacklisted and and his own son's loss, you know, the loss of his own son not equating to the same as the loss of Diana. Yeah. So what I think what's really interesting in a lot of this, and I was reminded of it when I was going back through the research, is how much the, it seems like the Egyptian and Arab press possibly planted some of those conspiracy theories. Or, and this is a question I have, if that's okay for not ignoring, do you think Fayed planted them in those papers in order to start the conspiracy theories? What do you guys think? I think they were echoing a sentiment. We, we didn't show a really big part of the conspiracy theories which were playing out on the internet in general mm-hmm. across, you know, forums and messaging boards and stuff. So it's, I think it's really hard to tell. But what I noticed when I was going through the newspapers just from July onwards, basically from when Diana and Dodi met onwards, they did make it seem like they're about to get married, basically. Like, Dodi's going to propose. They took that mirror headline, which Fai, we know Fayed planted in the mirror, that says Dodi, I can't remember what it says exactly, but Dodi buys engagement ring for Dai or something, or dashes to buy. Um, and they t- used that picture in one of the Arabic newspapers, and basically it played out up until their death. It played out as if they're going to get married now, basically. It's happening. So when they died, the conspiracy theories happened. Mm. So I think indirectly, because he planted that story in the mirror, it sort of Fed made its way into Egypt. Fact. Because I'm not sure if he had much connection to the Egyptian press mm-hmm. personally. I don't know how. That was yeah. something actually I wanted to ask you was because obviously we were kind of very clear about how how Diana was written about in the press, how Dodi was written about in the press or the, the, the how he was... Yeah, I mean, the, basically the narrative that the press wrote about Dodi and Mohammed. And I was interested to find out whether that was mirrored in the Egyptian press and how they wrote about them. If it was a similar kind of, you know, tabloid or whether there was a different narrative going on in Egyptian press about those three. So what we found was that, interestingly enough, it was the broadsheets in the UK that were taking a pretty racist tone towards Dodi when the yeah. kiss photos came out. And obviously that triggered the Arab press to be like, you know, they're being racist, they hate us because we're Muslim and all of that. So yeah, I think the mainstream media like Ahram and stuff, they were being extremely objective, saying they weren't, you know, saying that, you know, they killed Diana, but they would say that, you know, people are saying there's conspiracy theories Mm. in the streets of Egypt about the death, Uh, very much like how you would read any report about it from the time. Whereas there were tabloids that we couldn't find because it's just so niche to like find actual physical Egyptian tabloids that did, mm. yeah, full on conspiracy theory. They were publishing like self-published books and mm. all sorts of things. Really? And, yeah. At what point did Mohammed Al-Fayed start talking about his conspiracy theories? Because he said a number of different things over many years about the crash being caused by either the royal family or by the British government or secret services. We'll go into that in a bit more detail in a later episode, but from your research, what do you think drove him to the point that this was his truth? This was what he believed? Well, at first it was quite instantly he blamed the photographers. But then once the toxicology report showed 
that Henri Paul was drunk, I think what happened is that he felt like he was being blamed and that's when he started to spiral and mm. point fingers left, right and center. There was a couple of um, interviews that he gave, I think, in 2003, 2004, so a few years after the, the accident, uh, to Egyptian media. So two particularly long interviews. One mm. of them is like a three-hour long two-part interview wow. where he goes on and on about, you know, the conspiracies and, you know, how the death was orchestrated and how he never meant to pressure Dodi into being with Diana and that had he known that earlier, he wouldn't have, you know, he would have done something about it. And then I think in one of these interviews, there's a moment where he breaks down and he cries. We see we see Fayed crying and it's a very interesting moment because at the end of the day, he's also a father in grief. It's this like two sort of things happening at mm. the same time. And it's something... Just just a, th a thought about, you know, how brilliant then Salim is to be able to portray both. بس في القاهرة في بيروت بغداد في العالم العربي كله شايفني بطل And when it came to researching and recreating Dory's London funeral what was your approach and what were the challenges It's just the small details that were hard to find for example how Dory was buried there was a big thing about whether he was buried in a coffin or without a coffin Because in Islam, it's customary to bury a body just in a shroud without um, a coffin. But we didn't know if that was custom in the UK at the time. Mm. And some press reports would say his coffin was lowered, which is what we initially had in the script. And some press reports as well. And then other press reports said otherwise. So we eventually went, Nurhan spoke to a consultant that we'd been speaking to at the mosque. Mm. And he said um, his parents, I think, mm -hmm. his parents' funeral, which was in the 90s, they were they were buried without a coffin. So we went for that. But it was the small details that were quite difficult to find, things like that, basically. Well, that's something that's really interesting that I wanted to ask about, because we see Dodie's funeral in, in the episode and it's incredibly emotional and beautifully written and portrayed and shot. But can you... Tell us about, explain to our listeners why he's buried within 24 hours of, of his death. It's an, In Islam, it's how you honor the dead. So the faster you can bury them, the yeah, the, the better. So he has to, the customary is to, uh, to bury the, the dead then within 24 hours. And then there was also uh, something that we read and someone at the mosque spoke to us about it, that it's also better to bury someone early in the day and not at night. So if someone has passed after um, sunset, I think they usually would wait until the following morning or something mm -hmm. like that. And again, it was interesting because with Dodi, we, there was a lot of details that we did not have about, you know, like we knew that he was probably buried that night. There was, he was buried somewhere and then he was, his body was moved somewhere else. And we, we didn't have all the details involving this particular sort of movement. Yeah. So, and also we didn't have a lot of details about what actually happened at the mosque, at the funeral prayer, like who was there, uh, how did, you know, 
how how was Fayed like? Was you know Fayed's brothers there? What was how were people reacting to the death? So these there was a lot of research, but also I believe creativity that had to go into trying to imagine mm. and like recreate this sort of tragic moment. Yeah. Uh, while trying to stay true to, you know, this being an authentic sort of representation mm. of a Muslim burial in the UK. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. Brothers and sisters, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all. We are shortly going to commence the janaza prayer of... Imad al-Din Muhammad Abdul Min'im Fal, the son of our dear brother Muhammad al-Fahid. As well as getting that idea of, you know, we talked about the about the, the respect to, to the language and the dialect, this is another area as well in terms of tradition. Very and being respectful so. to, to that and authentic to, to that as well. There was a lot of, I think it was like weeks of uh, research and then we had to visit the mosque and speak to someone there. Yeah, we spoke to many people, I believe, at the mosque who consulted on exactly how mm. every specific bit of that scene, you know, had to be like. Yeah, I think I'm particularly proud of of, of that scene because, again, it's very unusual to, you know, recreate a whole like prayer, mm. you know, in a major sort of English production. Yeah, uh, in Arabic. And it's quite um, beautiful. It's like a yeah. beautiful sort of montage. Uh, yeah. The yeah. mosque is also very yeah. beautiful. The which which is where Central he was mosque. actually, That that's where it actually happened. Was it? Yeah. Mm. Were you able to find and speak to anyone who was actually there? Yeah. No. Yes. Was it the imam or the... It was the imam the and, some of the, and some of the mosque goers mm. as well. What's an imam? So the imam is the, the there's a muezzin who basically performs the call to prayer. And mm -hmm. then there's the imam who actually performs the prayer. And then you, you see people repeating the prayer after him. So I think we met with the muezzin who performed the call to prayer at Dodi's funeral in 1997. He did speak to us a little about the actual, you know, what happened on the day. What did he say? What did he have to, what was the most kind of most pertinent piece of information that you think you I think you what he said to... about the press I yes. found most interesting is that the press wanted to come in and yeah we'll and, and, and they bodyguards. yeah and, and, and the mosque they were like you're not going to come in here and yeah so journalists and photographers were trying to get into the mosque yeah, yeah but then they ended up on the op opposite sidewalk I don't think we showed that but yeah Wow, and and that's the only footage we have is is basically cameras just pointing at the entrance of the mosque. That was the only sort of yeah archive where mm. any like photos we've had from from the whole funeral is just the convoy sort of arriving at the mosque. A big part of what six oh four is about is you know that we don't see Doty in the, in the British media. Like he's he's as if, it's as if Diana has died on her own, and it's it's even something like a sentence that a line of of Salim's. And by recreating this you know mosque scene and the Dodi's funeral prayer, it's a very empowering thing to do because then you're showing that this individual was very special to his community and you know how they mourned him exactly. And it's as if you're, you know, giving agency to that sort yeah. of character. Yeah. And finally, I sat down with the incredible Salim Dao. Salim, it's so great to see you again. Thank you. 
congratulations on the recognition that you've had from season five. You must be very thrilled. Yes, I'm really thrilled, yes. Really, really, because uh, first of all, to be nominated for the BAFTA, it's a great honor for me. So I'm, I'm so happy uh, that uh, people recognize me in the street, everywhere. Yes, and in the underground, in London, in my country, everywhere. So I'm so happy. Yeah, I feel very good. We get to see a lot more of Mohammed and... Dodi in the first half of this season. How would you describe their relationship at this point in time? This relationship is quite complicated. It's plenty of love, but plenty of different things. Mm. Momo Fayed has his visions. He wants his son to be exactly as he wants to be, to see him, mm-hmm. like, you know. And uh, Dodi has uh, different ideas and different visions. So uh, these differences create uh, a tension between them. Mm. But they love each other, it's for sure, yes? In episode four, Aftermath, after Diana and Dodi pass, Dodi's death has a massive impact on Muhammad. How would you say, you know, from that research that you did, but also from the script and the character that you're playing, how would you say he's feeling at that time? Is it a mixture of emotions? I mean, it's very hard to describe this yeah. feeling by words, you know, mm. so hard. It's, it's the worst thing for a parent to, to lose his child. Yes. I think I, I, I felt very good. What are the feeling of Momo Ilfaid exactly? Because everyone and me too, we, we lost yeah. many of our b- beloved people, you know? Yeah. Every, everyone. So I, I remembered everyone I lost in my life and, and I saw and understand what's happened to Muhammad Ilfaid and I, I, I put together everything, my things and his things together and I understand, I think, I understand very good what's happened there. It was, mm. it was, it was very hard for me personally. Well, you know, incredibly touching and obviously very emotional scenes to film, you know, Muhammad's grief. How do you prepare for something like that as an actor coming into something that you know is going to be that emotional? How do you prepare for something like you that? You know, I want to be honest here, really honest, as, as I am always. I prepare nothing. And I, I'm not an actor. I'm a human being. Mm. I'm not an actor. I can't act. When you begin to act, everything is bad. So I can prepare how to do things. I feel and I saw things and I behave from what I see and what I feel. This is what, what's happened exactly with me in, this, in these very hard scenes mm. in episode four. I don't need to prepare things. I need to feel things and to feel and to understand here in my body, not here. Yeah. I don't need my head yeah. when I'm working. There is an extraordinary scene with 
Dodi and Muhammad, where Dodi appears, and it's it's a it's a beautiful scene. It's very moving. It's highly emotional, and I know that you've we spoke in the past about the bond that you and Khalid have. How was that scene to film? You know, I, I have to say Khalid for me is a real son. We felt all the time that we are a real father and son, really, on and outside the, the, the <laughs> set, you know. It was so real, so so true what we feel to each other, love. It was wonderful to, to work with him and to feel really... I, I remember, I have to say, the, the first table reading, after we, we go outside to drink something, to eat something, Khalid said to me, oh my God, I was so scared. Who is going to be my father here? Oh my God, now I'm so happy, Salim. Now I'm so happy because I'm, I'm no more scared. It's finished. I'm, I'm so relaxed now. I'm so happy. And this began there. Mm. This moment was the beginning between us. And this scene, <laughs> I try to, to hold myself because really I feel you know, this scene is so important mm -hmm. in this script because this is the first time that Momo Al-Faid, Muhammad Al-Faid, said to his son, I'm so sorry, my son. He never said that before when Dodi was alive. He said it when Dodi died, after the death of Dodi. So only this chance that he had to say it. Yeah. And it's, it's good. It's better than nothing. Yeah. Even Dodi is dead, so but for Muhammad al-Fahd, it's so important, this scene, and uh, to, to ask forgiveness from his son, beloved son. Zalamtak. Lama hastit alayk amal kibir. We we see him for the first time, I guess in a way, um express spirituality, you know, yeah. after after yeah. Dodi passes. Yeah. I was interested to ask you about what impact that had on him. The, the almost the death encouraged him to reconnect or connect in a way with spirituality yeah. that he'd never before. Yeah, yeah. Is that fair? You know, you know to be believer, you know, to believe, uh, it's, it's inside. He, he doesn't have to do something uh, or for us to see some s signals on him that he believe in God. But when we feel sad and we feel bad and we are in, in big troubles, you know. Mm. We need something to lay on. Yeah, to, uh, to rely uh, on. Yeah. To lie on, yes. Yeah. And for for uh, Muhammad al-Fayed, it, it was God in this very, very devastating mm. situation for him. Mm. Yes, and then, then he he called God. Why, my God? Because it's so, so hard. Mm. 
as I said, for a parent to lose his child, is, there is nothing more worse than this. Yeah. Then, then in this moment, he, he needed God. Sometimes you need some somebody to lie on. He felt that this is God in this moment he, yeah. he needs. Last time we spoke, you spoke about you imagined Muhammad being a crocodile. Yeah. Do you remember? I remember and, uh, very good. When you play him, is he still a crocodile after Dodie's death? Yes. <laughs> he's an angrier one. He's still <laughs> a, a crocodile, but a wounded crocodile and humiliated crocodile and a very sad and very helpless, lost somewhere. He doesn't know what, what to do, what to say, what, you know? Yeah. And very, very angry crocodile. What do you think the most important thing for you that you will take away from this two-year experience? I'm a little bit nervous usually in my life, a little bit. And, and now I'm so, because I'm so happy. This two years, <laughs> this two years for me was the most beautiful years in my life. Really. I enjoy every, every, every day, I, 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 every second, I, I told you, yes. Mm. So, 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 you are my family here. I'm Edith Bowman and I want to give special thanks to our guests on this episode. Salim Dow, Dominic West, Suzanne Mackey, Peter Morgan and the Crown's research team, Annie Salzberger, Nurhan Telfik and Nada Atea Williscroft. The Crown, the official podcast, is produced by Netflix and Sony Music Entertainment in association with Left Bank Pictures. Join me next time when part two of The Crown's final season returns to Netflix. Here's a sneak peek of what's to come. The danger is that he'll simply shut all that away with terrible consequences later in life. Tears and self-pity aren't exactly common currency in this family. But it's not self-pity, is it? It's grief. Subscribe now, wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>